0: And thanks for listening to this episode of Healthcare 360. I'm Rob Fields. I'm the Chief Clinical Officer here at Beth israel Health. This time on Healthcare 360, we're taking a bit of a different approach. We will periodically feature patients of our system and hear from them directly on their story, their journey as patients in healthcare and trials and tribulations related to that, but also their triumphs and how we as general healthcare systems, not just BILH, can help better support. And I'm very excited to have a very unique perspective on that story from one of our physicians. So I'd like to introduce Dr. Marissa Kearney, who is an emergency room physician. And Marissa, thank you so much for joining us today.
1: My pleasure. Thanks for having me on. I, like I said, I'm happy to tell my story, and I do have a unique perspective being a patient in our system as well as a physician. So I've been a physician in the emergency room at Winchester, straight out of residency, where I trained locally at Beth Israel, and I came to Winchester for the past 19 years. So I know the system well, and I have always been so proud of the fact that we take care of patients like they're our our own family members. And I got to experience that, unfortunately, myself. A little bit about my background with emergency medicine is that I've, you know, 19 years, been a full-time emergency room physician. And 10 of those years have been as a nocturnist. So what that means is I work nights. So I just chose that because it works great with our family. I work nights. I take naps during the day and take care of our three daughters, now ages 12, 14, and 15. But that's a big piece of my life is just trying to maintain balance between the night shifts and my family life. And it all works really well.
0: It's got to be challenging. I mean, I think not just, you know, working full time and taking care of it is always a challenge. I'm sure lots of folks can relate to that. But then in particular as a physician and then on nights and trying to maintain your sleep and health, I don't know how you do it.
1: It was easy until it wasn't, I guess. (laughs) It it worked well. And I'm an athlete and I'm training for half marathons all the time. So I would Uh love to fit that piece in too. Yeah. So that kind of kept me going. I had like energy from that, but it all kept me going until everything kind of broke down and I realized I wasn't as healthy as I thought
0: I was. You know, I think as we get to that part of the story, I'm going to imagine lots of lessons here about just like you said, we assume everything's going well. And I think all of us as human beings, physician or not physicians, it doesn't matter. We have a tendency to take a lot of things for granted, right? That everything's just going to keep going smoothly. And Well, maybe we can just start there. Tell me about when you started to realize that it wasn't all as it should be.
1: My care is through Dr. Kelly Cornell, the breast surgeon here. She's the head of the breast department and the chair of general surgery at Winchester. Getting a routine, I get mammograms and MRIs for dense breast tissue. And I actually, after an overnight shift, I went and got my MRI done. Routine, no family history. Mm -hmm. And one of the interesting points of this as that test was done, I thought nothing of it. I went on and did some errands. And patient's information comes into their portal now and you can see the information results. And I actually have experience with this as a physician too. Sometimes you're in the emergency room and the patient says, oh, I got my blood test results back. What does this mean? And I sometimes haven't seen it myself, but so that happened to me as well. So I was actually running errands and the MRI report came back and I almost didn't open it because there's no family history. I thought nothing of it. I was doing things and it said malignancy in it and I just froze you know and I became all of a sudden became a patient I didn't know what to think after that you just you're taught in medical school or along your training that patients don't hear anything after they hear the word cancer and it's true and I don't know how sensitive we are to that, but we give patients so much information about details after we tell them some bad news and they're not hearing yeah. what we're saying. So
0: You are literally running errands around town. You look at this on your phone, presumably. Yeah. What did you do?
1: I cried. I called another person close friend from work here, Dana Sikowski, Dr. Cornell. My husband was traveling and in the middle of a really busy meeting, I didn't want to bother him and just kind of gathered my resources together of who was close by that could help me through this. And we arranged for a biopsy to be done and kind of went through the process of figuring out what was going on.
0: Did that all happen fairly quickly then after that initial day?
1: Pretty quickly. Yeah, yeah. And I remember sitting at the table. So my husband flew home right away. But I remember sitting at the table with Dr. Cornell. And that's another piece of our system that I just love so much is she sat down with me, crying, wrote everything down for me, because she knew I wasn't Mm -hmm. listening, Mm -hmm. making sure that my husband was with me and listening for me. And I still have that piece of paper that she wrote everything down on and I kept a really detailed journal of everything along the way, but that piece of paper told me everything that I didn't hear about what was going on.
0: Yeah. How long after the biopsy? You know, what I often hear is the waiting in between each of these steps. You know, no matter who you are, physician, not physician, it doesn't matter. The waiting is super challenging. Tell me about so it sounds like you get the biopsy fairly quickly. But I'm sure the pathology, et cetera, takes a little while. It just takes the time it takes. Do you remember how long that
1: took? Yeah, it takes probably close to a week. And that week, you're mm. physically present in whatever situation you're in, but your mind is not present. You're not sleeping. You're not. You're just not functioning. And your mind is just waiting for those results. And it seems like it takes forever. And again, that comes back on the portal and, you know, you see those results. And the thing about Winchester is they're there to discuss the results with you.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Whether you're a physician or a patient, you know, very quickly.
0: Yeah. So once you get the pathology back, when I imagine the whole time your mind is racing about future and what's happening next, I would guess that that's true. Maybe not. I don't know. Were you always sort of down that path way before you even got the results?
1: down that path, the minute you hear the word, I think when you stop hearing everything else and you hear the word cancer, your mind is racing down the path of my life and mm-hmm. my kids and what's going to happen to my life. It's over. And how do you have closure in the life that you think is about to end? A huge piece of this is the mental piece as mm-hmm. to, it's obvious, but you're having so much anxiety, but you're having so much depression. And part of just being such a doer, I had to find a therapist and a psychologist psychiatrist and I kind of went into action mode and got a second opinion at Dana-Farber and Mass General Triple Negative Clinic and just gathered up all of this information and I think I would love to help patients with that in the future but people don't know what to do next and you need to figure out how to gather up all of these resources to help you.
0: Yeah. You know, we hear this a lot in US healthcare in general about there are all these pieces and parts but someone helping you to put all those pieces together in the way that You know, it sounds like you had some help, but also did a lot on your own. What supports you needed at that particular time, which I imagine some may be universal, but others are really specific to you and your needs. What would you suggest? Or if you had either advice for systems, for us, or for patients that are trying to navigate this themselves that may not have the knowledge or resources that you have as a physician in the system, what advice would you give to either us or to the patients?
1: Well, my dream is to set up, and I've started studying lifestyle medicine, so along with the mental piece are six pillars of health that you need to have to either prevent illness or to deal with a chronic illness as it comes up, and it's sleep, it's nutrition, it's physical activity, it's social connectedness, and it's all the things that we know, but Like I said, like we kind of reach for some resources, but don't have one person to pull it all together. So as a lifestyle medicine physician, I would like to actually become that point person and treat women. and, and their journey through breast cancer and then branch off to other chronic illnesses or mm-hmm. preventative illnesses and teach them, okay, for you, you need this therapist, you need this nutritionist and someone else needs stress reduction and you need to talk to a psychiatrist or a personal trainer. You know, just, Anyway, each person has to be individualized in their treatment plan. So that's my goal actually, to be able to yeah. be that person.
0: And it sounds like your journey informed a lot of those future plans. It sounds like professionally. Basically. Yeah, it just
1: kind of fell into place. If you're trying to make the best of a terrible situation where your life was coming to an end one day, and then all of a sudden you're trying to navigate the system and figure out what good can come of this. I think that's a yeah important positive outcome that we can learn from.
0: Absolutely. You know, when you're going through this journey and then you get the second portal message with the pathology, presumably confirming what you may have already known, I can only imagine that it's natural to think the worst, potentially, of what could happen. Maybe there was some information that would have indicated maybe a treatment plan already, but, but then you have to go through treatment, which in and of itself, it's its own journey. I have had many friends and family members that have gone through the cancer journey in particular, where the treatment path Is not easy and becomes exhausting. And can you talk about how you're able to cope with that? How did you handle or think about the rest of your life and fitting treatment into the rest of your life? I mean, that's got to be really challenging as busy as you are. How did you just get your head around all of that? Yeah,
1: good question. I spent many days just crying and depressed, Mm -hmm. as people should, you need to have that time. And then started to come up with a plan. My life was filled with appointments and that actually, it keeps you busy and it makes you feel good that other providers are seeing you and people are hearing about you on a daily basis, sometimes multiple appointments a day. My kids, you know, we made sure that my kids were all taken care of and various support that they needed. And my husband was a great support to me. And he went to the appointments with me, but Throughout it all, Winchester was like my backbone, and I went to Dana-Farber and got some information, and I went to, you know, I like I said, the Boston hospitals, but I still kept coming back to Winchester. All the hospitals in Boston were coming up with the same treatment plan, yeah. and it was just validating that, okay, everybody's on the same page, but Winchester's going to be here yeah. with me, holding my hand. This is my community.
0: And they knew you. They know you.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Whether or not they know me as a physician or just any other patient, I think we treat patients like they're our family. I remember one appointment where they were in Boston going over the data with me and just showing me numbers. And this is what we have to do because of just data points. And I just came away from that saying, but they didn't even know that I have three daughters and I'm an athlete and how Mm -hmm. this treatment plan is really going to affect me.
0: Yeah, you're alluding to it, but I would love to just ask you explicitly about the value of that continuity, that personal relationship with you as a human, not as a coworker, just as a human with a diagnosis now that's attached to you. Can you talk a little bit more about the value of that relationship with your caregivers, at Winchester in particular, and how that impacted your care? And if there were any really different decisions that you made as a result of that relationship, or anything that you think was impacted by just the value of relationship and the care?
1: I trusted everything that Winchester mm-hmm. told me. And in the end, they were all right. That hand-holding, literally like putting their arm around you as you're crying or holding your hands, going into anesthesia. All Mm -hmm. of those connections just put you at ease. I didn't come into surgery. I ended up having six surgeries and they found two types of breast cancers. Wow. And triple negative is one of them, which is a very aggressive high rate of recurrence and one of the tougher ones to have. But anyway, I didn't come into any of the surgeries really scared. I felt reassured. I felt like they were... Going to do everything they could to make sure that I was okay. Mm -hmm. And that I wasn't just going to be another patient or going through, you know, as patient number five of the day. I was a patient with a name, doctor or not. Some people didn't even know I was a doctor because I don't know everyone in the system, but that extra hand holding just puts you at ease. And when you're mentally feeling at ease, you're going to heal better, you're going to recover better. It's a piece of the whole healing picture.
0: Yeah, I totally agree with that. And you use the word trust. You know, it's one thing to know at least some of the colleagues and your immediate caregivers. If you're a patient that's not working at the hospital, how would you help them try to figure out how to trust or, you know, how to establish that trust and relationship with their caregivers for whatever they may be dealing with? I mean, it could be hypertension for Pete's sake. I think it still applies, right? You still have to have trust in the folks that are caring for you. At least that's been my experience is that mutual trust can go a long way. But how do you advise Friends or colleagues that aren't in the healthcare system on establishing that or establishing those relationships.
1: I think you just get that blank reaction that you feel with your provider. I think everybody in this area has been trained with the same information., yeah. but if you have that reaction where I want to be friends with this provider mm-hmm. or you know, I have this connection where I could go out for coffee with this provider, mm-hmm. you're both on the same page. They care about you as much as you care about them. Yeah. It's more than just the background of where they trained. It's just that human connectedness, that feeling of wanting to spend more time with them.
0: Yeah. And when you think about the future now, I don't know where you are, if you're able to share, able or willing to share sort of where you're at in your treatment plan and looking forward. I know that's not easy either. Sometimes the anticipatory nature of all these tests, because you have to get monitoring and testing. If you don't mind sharing a little bit about that experience now, this different phase of your care.
1: Yeah. And you are touching on it exactly with that, the different phase of my care and the different version of me. Mm -hmm. And along the way, everyone said, you're so strong. You're so, you know, this label of me as being this like strong, invincible doctor who did everything right and still got cancer. But throughout it all, I learned I could be so much better. And so I think going forward with that is There was one particular day that I just decided I'm going to take a positive spin on things and not be so depressed anymore. And so I've been living with positivity as much as possible. You can have too much positivity. That's not realistic. But I am moving forward with more positivity, a better version of myself, I'd say. Mm -hmm. You always live in fear. Of course. I'm done with treatment, but now I still have in the back of my mind. Both of the types of cancers that I have could come back and we all live with risk, but this is a different type yeah. of risk that I have to go on with. And it's hard at times, but there's fewer times when it's as hard as it was before. So it's getting it's getting better. Yeah. I've come back to work. I'm easing myself back into work and it's nice to be back with my colleagues.
0: I bet perhaps it's cliche, but I'm sure it's true. You're showing it already that you view life probably a little differently. It sounds like you're exploring new professional opportunities as a result of the way you think about life and being happy and healthy in that life. It sounds like you're taking a different approach. How else do you think your relationships have changed or how your life philosophy maybe has changed as a result?
1: That's a great question. And I pondered this a lot throughout my journey because I've always thought of myself as being an introvert. Mm -hmm. During COVID, I loved the time at home with our family and didn't feel the pressure of being out socially. But in studying lifestyle medicine, and I've been studying a lot on longevity and the blue zones and social connectedness is key to our Happiness in our health and throughout all of my journey, my close, close friends were helping me in so many, so many ways. And I have a network of 20, 30, 40 other really, really special people in my life who have just been there for me. And I realized the value of their friendship. So yeah. To answer your question, I am just valuing more of our social piece of life and the, even if maybe you value some energy from being an introvert, that I've learned to find energy as being more extroverted as well.
0: Yeah, even as an introvert, the social connection and relationships are important. right?
1: Right, right. And finding my other piece that's really important is to surround yourself with energy givers. And we need that for anybody, preventative care, as well as dealing with a
0: chronic illness. That's really great advice, always. Marissa, as we're closing up, I wonder if there are any other parts of your story or wisdom, lessons learned, anything that folks that are listening might take away in their own journey. And it could be practical advice, but any last minute thoughts or things you would want to share?
1: I think I would end on... Another thing that I realized throughout this is people would say throughout my treatment, you look great. And I didn't feel great Mm -hmm. most of the time. So I think it's important to really like as a provider, look at patients and say, you know, how are you feeling? You know, they don't look like they're in pain, but yes, you are in pain. Mm -hmm. Or, you know, you look like you're recovering well. Oh, you're done with your breast cancer treatment. You look like you're doing great are you? When I went out to lunch with one of my girlfriends and she said, you look great, but how are you feeling? And that really got to the point of the matter is that you're not always feeling well on the inside.
0: Yeah. And it's a really good lesson for caregivers everywhere, right? Not to apply your own evaluation and judgment on the person, right? Right, right. It should be their story. should be able to express how they feel. Thank you for that important lesson for all of us. And I just can't thank you enough It's not easy to share something that I'm sure was and maybe continues in some ways to be a really painful part of your journey. And I appreciate you sharing that. It is important right, to understand how we as a system can do better, what we did well, but what we can improve on and to support patients everywhere, including our own colleagues. So thank you for taking the time and sharing so openly.
1: My pleasure. I've learned a lot about becoming a better physician as well.
0: I bet. Well, thank you, Marissa. And if other folks have ideas or thoughts about future podcasts or patient stories, please email us or leave comments on social media. And please rate us on whatever you listen to podcasts on. So thank you so much. And we'll talk soon.